we are back in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, 11-13, chapter 7-4. 6, 11-13, 7-4. Thanksgiving is this week. Did you know that? I'm still trying. When was Labor Day? <laughs> so, I just I just don't remember. Huh. Although yesterday did feel like summer then, didn't it? So I knew it was gonna happen. Wanted to get some air time. And of course don't have a back tire on my motorcycle, which makes it extraordinarily difficult. Let's pray and read the word of the Lord. Father, we come before you, the author and the finisher of our faith. Thank you. Father, as we come into this season, that uh, we celebrate the birth of our Savior. And Father, we celebrate a time of thanksgiving. Uh, Father, may we understand what has been given. And may we rest in those assurances. And Father, may they always be on our minds. And may we always be able to smile with hearts of gratitude at the awesome things you have done. Father, as we begin to look at your word, help us to hear. Help us to understand. Uh, Father, in part because of the urgency of the day, but Father, also in part because we are here to be about your work. Thank you, Lord. I thank you for the opportunity to be in your book. I thank you for your book. I thank you for... Your spirit and Lord, I thank you for your precious bride, your church. Lord, help us. Help us to cherish one another. Help us to cherish the time. And help us to be good stewards of what you've given. To your praise, to your glory. In Christ's name. Amen. Verse 11, chapter 6. Our mouth has spoken freely to you, old Corinthians. Our heart is opened wide. You are not restrained by us, but you are restrained in your own affections. Now, in like exchange, I speak as to children. Open wide to us also. Chapter 7, verse 2. Make room for us in your hearts. We've wronged no one. We've corrupted no one. We've took advantage of no one. I do not speak to condemn you, for I have said before that you are in our hearts to die together, to live together. Great is my confidence in you. Great is my boasting on your behalf. I am filled with comfort and I am overflowing with the joy of our affliction. So we look at this. You've got to keep it in mind that the letter was written Because you're a minister. If you are truly saved today, you are a minister of the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't get too excited about that. It just means you're a servant. I've watched a lot of people today believe that the minister are the guys who are up front or in leadership. And understand that they are nothing but servants. And their jobs are a little different than some of the others. That's that's the simplicity of it. And, and, and I, I, one of the things that I have really tried to make you understand over years is that we who are saved serve. 
Okay, and it and it, and sometimes you know what it may be teaching, but even James says not many of you should be teachers, for their judgment is harsher. Are you do you understand that? Because judgment begins where house of God. So when when I you know most people think that the servants are the ones who you know, or up front or teaching the Sunday school classes or the Bible studies or all these other things. And there is that aspect of it. But the truth is, if you take Peter and he describes spiritual gifts in two, serving gifts and speaking gifts. Okay, and and yet I, I watch us at times get all beside ourselves and... Um, we missed the opportunity because the church growth model that exists today is that I need to get as many people in here as I can so that they start giving so that we can hire ministers. And um, that's wrong. That is absolutely wrong. When I read through this, there's 10 points that I show because one of the things that will you've heard the statement, try men's souls. Well, if you're a minister, <laughs> Stand up, because it will be trying. All right. And one of the ways to kind of overcome that is by the love of God been poured into your heart. And and so, you know, we studied a few years ago, first Corinthians 13 on love and its attributes, the facets of love. But what we're looking at now are 10 points of love. He started out there. Our mouth has spoken freely to you. Um, Our heart is open wide. See, out of the mouth speaks the heart. When you see that phrase there, our heart is open wide, it literally means that I always have room in my heart for you, regardless of what's going on. Now, these knuckleheads in Corinth um, were basically turning their back I'm the Apostle Paul, and we're actually trying to listen to false teachers and false accusers of the Apostle Paul. And one of the things that I have learned, especially in the speaking gifts, they will attack the speaker uh, and at times flat out just false accusation. And, And the reason is, is that if I can disqualify the teacher, then I can slide my stuff in because he's been disqualified. And one of the things about false teachers is they don't walk around and tell you, I'm a false teacher. All right. There are when I think about the false, there are those who are deceived and there are those who are deceivers. Okay, and and you've got to be careful because there's times that the people they just don't know. It's out of pure ignorance that they are that way. There are others um, and that want to have a place of authority and they're deceivers and they know what they're saying ain't right and they don't care and uh, they were trying to do the same thing with the apostle Paul but Paul said you know what what I spoke to you was coming out of my heart because my heart was open wide so one of the points of love is truth is truth you share truth You know, it's one of those things I I try to get people to understand that, you know what, there are times truth hurts. 
And, and that's difficult, you know, and I've heard people, I remember one time we had a, it's been years ago, uh, a lady wanted to join the church as a member. And so what we do as, as, as a church is that a person who wants to join the church uh, meets with the elders, only the elders, and they give us their testimony. And basically what we're listening for, are you saved? You know, one of the things I've learned the hard way is it is tough to shepherd somebody who isn't saved. Okay, so anyway, uh, you want to find out. And I remember this lady looking at us and I said, well, how do you know you're saved? And she says, when I was a little girl, and I forget how old she said she was. She says, I was up in my room and this two shadows came into my room. And the one shadow put my hand in the hand, the hand of the other shadow. And that was God giving me to Jesus. Really? And can someone tell me biblically where God is a shadow? I know what Shekinah is. Okay, and his glory is so massive, there are no shadows. <laughs> okay, and, and so you, you sit there and you think, well, there you go. And of course, the other elders looked at me and they said, well, Terry, you're the pastor. What do you think? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, gee. Uh, and I explained to the person that uh, that does not constitute salvation. And I gave her a number of reasons why. And she went on her merry way and we never seen her again. Okay. But I was sharing truth because of my love for her soul. Okay. If, if you're going to base your eternal destiny on that, uh, boy. That's uh, someone needs to point out that, uh-uh. okay, so there's times that when you share truth, um, but it is because of the openness of the heart. And that's what the Apostle Paul's trying to tell us here, because of the wide opened heart that he had. Now listen, the Corinthians, most of us would have said, hey, shake the dust off my feet and I'm not going to give you my pearls anymore and I'm out of here. But see, because of the love of Christ compels him, guess what? He's still dealing with them. But also there's an affection. You are not restrained by us, but you are restrained in your own affections. Okay, whereas Paul had his heart wide open, they had closed theirs. Okay, and you've seen it. We've all dealt with it. People that you've ministered with, people that you've served with, people that you've shared with, and all of a sudden, some reason, they shut you off. Okay? It doesn't make the hurt go away, but they're just saying, I don't want no more of this. You know, I've had people who walked out of this church saying, you know what, every time I come in and hear you, I am so convicted when I leave, I've decided I'm going to go somewhere else. Okay, that's my fault. All right, but, you know, perhaps, you know, God's sending you a message and you're like, I'm ignoring it. These are the things that you have to pay attention to because there's an affection. All right, there has to be people. If we're going to spend eternity together in the presence of Jesus Christ, how can you not have an affection? And yet Paul says, you Corinthians, you've restrained yourself. The other thing that you see there is a oneness in 6, 13 and 7, 2. And like exchange, okay, reciprocated. He's already in 1 Corinthians, he says, hey, am I not your spiritual father? 
You know, you'll have a whole lot of people who will guide you. You'll have a whole lot of people who will lead you. You'll have a whole lot of people who will teach you. But you've only got one spiritual father. Therefore, you are my children. And like exchange, as my heart is open to you, please allow your heart to be open to me. And that's what he says. Open wide to us also. Then in chapter 7, verse 2, make room for us in your heart. Because we clutter ourselves. Think about it. Every one of us in this room clutters ourselves. That we don't make room for people. You know, I watch the generation that's coming up right now, and they've got little earphones in for everything. And it's like they live in their own little universe. And every once in a while, they'll unplug it. Hey, what? Yeah, they plug it back in. And then off they go again. And they are completely ignoring that there's humanity around them. And here's, and the church has bought it. Okay, here's what the church does. I have young married couples class. I have an elderly married couples class. I have a widow and widowers class. I have a youth class. I have young adults class. See what I'm doing? What are you doing? You're isolating people. You're making them individuals and you set them apart. You know what you want? You want the spiritual fathers teaching the spiritual toddlers, teaching the spiritual young men, and you want them all together. You can't take a group of people and say, you've got it all figured out. Hang out together. Because you know what happens every time? They will heed their own counsel. And it's a disaster. Every time. I've got it all figured out. I've been in the young adults class. That makes me what? A young adult. I don't understand that. You know what? You should be taking the people who've been married 50 years and plugging in those who've been married 50 minutes. Because those at 50 years are going to look at those at 50 minutes and say, it's going down the hill quick. No, just... <laughs> <laughs> You didn't think this through, did you? (laughs) What was it I heard? Do you understand there are consequences? But we need that. We need spiritual men taking on spiritual youth. But we isolate it. And he's trying to say, open wide. Make room for us in our hearts. And you know what? I got to be honest with you. I have dealt with all ages... I've also dealt with all levels of spiritual maturity. Okay? And it takes a wide open heart to get that one choked down. Okay? And if it ain't a wide open heart, you'll walk away from it. You'll throw your hands up. You will. Why? Because it's one of the most exacerbating things you could ever get your hands on. There's a oneness that is there. It's not individualism. But there's also a purity there. Second part of 7.2. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. He says, you know what? We've been around with you long enough. Really? What have we done? What have we done to wrong you? What have we done? The word corrupt there is the word we get rust out of. What have we done with it? When have we done anything like that? Because there's a purity in love. True love. True love. 
There's, it strives to the purity of the others. And I, I don't care if that's a, a boy-girl relationship. I don't care if it's the individual people in the church relationship. You're striving for their purity. Why? Because I love you. I'm striving for your purity. But there's also humility. End of verse 2. We took advantage of no one. See, it's easy. I watch this a lot. I, I watch spiritually mature people. I guess they're not spiritually mature. They're information mature people. Take advantage of younger people. People who don't know. Okay. A lot of what I see in the evangelical community right now in the name of Jesus Christ is nothing but manipulation. Manipulation is not based on love. Okay. It is charter. I'm, you know, I hear people tell me, uh, guy is a, what do they call it? A worship leader here in Castle Rock. And he says, well, it is my responsibility to set the mood. Oh, what the heck is that? Who was the mood setter for Jesus? Okay. Can anybody tell me who Paul's worship leader was? Oh, yes, I can. Jesus Christ and the spirit of the living God. Okay, I, but you see what I'm, what I'm trying to Well, if I'm trying to set the mood, do you understand that that's nothing but manipulation? That is all it is. And we've got to get away from that. Why? That isn't loving. That's what the Apostle Paul is trying to tell us is that we don't do this for ourselves. That is the humility of this. I'm not taking advantage of anyone. I'm not here to manipulate you. I am here to share with you the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and then strengthen you for the task that he's called you to. Okay? The other is forgiveness. We do not speak to condemn you. He he says, I'm not speaking for final judgment. He says, it's like love. If love speaks truth, there's times that it's going to convict you. Right? It run, You know, you'll hear it when it stepped on my toes or it mashed my fingers or all these. You know, we have all these little cliche things that we say. It's basically conviction of the Holy Spirit. And there's times when you speak truth that you convict people. I mean, it isn't like you don't wake up in the morning and say, well, who can I make mad today? And yet there's people who seem to think that. Well, you know, he's going to get... I remember I I received the honor of Bible Thumper. And I thought, well, what does that mean? And then it dawned on me that people love their sin. They don't want to hear truth. And if you're truly gracious and merciful, you won't convict me. You know, and then me with all my compassion and exhortation, I just look at him and says, so you want to happily go to hell? Fine. These are things that you and I have to make understanding that we know this because we're not doing it to take advantage of people. That is the forgiveness side. And that not to condemn is the forgiveness side. Because, you know, I'm not here to condemn you. Okay? Jesus Christ will condemn you. All I am here to do, all a minister of the Lord Jesus Christ is here to do, understand this, is share truth. That's it. Know what the Bible says? Share what the Bible says. Know what the Bible says? Share what the Bible says. Okay? I ain't here to condemn you. The Word will. 
If you're kicking against the goad, happy for you. All right? But there is also a togetherness in the verse 3. I have said before, you are in our hearts to die and to live together. You know what that means? It's eternal. It's eternal. Christians are always going to be together. You know, so you might as well try to love them now because you have to spend eternity with them. Open your hearts wide. If you are a minister of the gospel, you have to have open, wide hearts. And let me tell you something. There are some porcupine Christians out there. Cute as a button. Don't touch it. And yet they're still there. They're still Christians. All right. And and that's hard for you and I. Because if you have taken what God has called you to, to be a minister of the gospel, then you've run in to some people that you think it's a waste. And all I'm going to ask you is one simple question. How patient was God with you? It's that simple. And therefore, that same patience I carry forth. Why? Because we are together. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. Well, and you know what we always do? Oh, I just don't think they're saved. Therefore, I'm innocent of having to deal with them. Really? Why are they in your life? Maybe they're not saved. So what would you do if they're not saved? Nothing. I'm not dealing with them. They hurt my feelings. They're hard to deal with. Oh, no, 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 no. What if they'd have done that with you? Because I know some of you are just a blast to be around. All right. And yet God says, I'm bring them into your life. <laughs> and you have to say, my heart is open wide. Yay. This brings me to one to this day I am absolutely mind boggled over. Verse four, first part. Great is my confidence in you. What? Think about that statement. This is a church that has perverted spiritual gifts. This is a church that thinks sexual immorality is Christ's freedom. This is a church that walks around in arrogance, saying, I am of Paul. I am of Apollos. And there's nothing but schisms and divisions. And now they're buying the song and dance of the false brethren, the false accusers, the false teachers, that the Apostle Paul is doing this for his own self-gratification. This is the fourth letter the Apostle Paul is writing. And he says, I am confident in you. Paul, is this chapter supposed to be in another letter? And you just kind of got this page slid behind here in the Corinthian letter? Look what he says. 
Great is my confidence. I think about this and I sit there and I scratch my head thinking, Paul, I've read 1 Corinthians. You wrote the severe letter. They had a letter that was before that had some questions on it. He's gotten some answers back. It says, oh, my God, I'm ashamed of you. And you're, you know, you, you think about it. Think about this church. Okay. If we were like the Corinthian church, the rich people right now would be downstairs eating. And the poor people would be coming out of the fields right now, hoping to have Thanksgiving dinner with us. And when they got here, all would be left is the wishbone. That's what the Corinthian church was doing in the name of love and freedom in Christ. And Paul says, I'm confident in you. Because 1 Corinthians 13 says, love believes all things. Love hopes all things. See, the Apostle Paul understood that first and foremost out there, even when you're confronting sin, is what? Love. Love. Always looks for the best. If you uh, drop down to verse 14. For if in anything I have boasted to him... About you, speaking of Titus, I was not put to shame, but as we spoke all things to you in truth, so also our boasting before Titus proved to be truth. Paul had told Titus, these are good people. These are strong believers. These are people of God who are maturing. Not that they have arrived, but they're growing. Really? Any of us fall into that? You know, they need a little work. But it's obvious God's working. He boasted above the Corinthians to Titus. Paul had great confidence in the people. And all I could sit down and think when I was going through this is, why? Because every single one of you in this room are guilty of trying to be confident in behavior. What was the Corinthian behavior? Not really a lot of confidence there. Perhaps it was the Corinthian track record. No. The Corinthians was messed up. And I would even argue that if you go through all of the churches in the New Testament, maybe the most messed up. But the confidence Paul has is from love. Because love hopes. Because love believes the best. See, Paul could look at it and say, God put a church here. And he did it because of his love. And I walk in that love. And regardless of what's going on, that love believes. That love hopes. Why? Because God don't make mistakes. Didn't say it's going to be easy. Listen, if you think salvation is easy, why did it take a cross? And yet we think, well, I said the prayer. I walked out. I did the jacuzzi thing. Amen. You know what? It goes downhill from there. 
The battle begins to rage. And you know what? We get the privilege of watching hope and watching love and believing. You love someone the way Paul is talking right here and you hear the worst about them. The hardest thing to accept about them. They get into trouble over wanting to believe. But love says, I believe. And love says the best about people. You watch people. It's like the term I use today, malicious gossips. Okay. And I know none of us have ever been guilty of malicious gossiping. But we love to share when someone has stumbled. Because we want you to pray for them. Okay? That ain't true. That ain't true. I have a list of people who have fallen into a quagmire that seems to be non-ending and I've never shared it with anybody. My wife doesn't even know my list. Okay? Nobody knows it. Why? I'm just dealing with it. I've given them to God. God deal with them. Okay? But there are people in the body of Christ that says, let me tell you what I found out. And you just scratch your head. All right? Because I know that person doesn't have an open heart for people. Because love hopes the best. Love believes the best. See, that's how love works. It continues to go on, even when the people are knuckleheads. It opens heart. That open heart believes the best. And there is a great confidence that the Apostle Paul had. Because his heart was open to these people. He had been with them for 18 months, day and night, house to house. And you know what? There's a part of me, when I look at this, I think, this seems to be against reality. But then I think back about it, their love is so deep, it demands that I believe the best about you, and that God is in the process of changing you. Despite unfaithfulness. Despite disloyalty, despite sin, despite error, despite there's a complete lack of discernment, yet Paul was still confident. Listen, this is not a Pollyanna. This is not a perfectionist. This is a guy whose heart is wide open because Paul came to a place where he had no one. The Pharisees hated him. The believers were afraid of him. He's got nothing. And so he stands, he's got Christ. And all of a sudden it dawns on him, wow, how much Christ must love me. I mean, I've been arresting his people. I've watched the murder of his people. But the Spirit of God is at work. And Paul knew it. Paul knew that that church birthed in Corinth was God's work. Paul knew that they lacked no gift. That was God's work. He knew that God had a love for those people. And Paul was confident. Okay, now listen. I want to be clear on this. It is not a confidence in the people. 
Please understand that. That is not what I'm saying. It is a confidence in the love of Christ that overcomes all things and does not fail. He who has begun a good work is going to see it finished. Okay, listen, this is ministry, people. You know what? There are people out there that I have ministered to, alongside, behind, lifted up, picked up, carried, drugged, did everything to, and you get one step forwards and three sideways. And I mean, you just sit there, well, here we go again. One more time. I want to share with you a text. One of the most dearest texts that, to me that I have. And um, it, it's, it, it's the one that gets me in most trouble with these pastors here in town. I call it true church growth. Okay. And, and the foundation is set on it. And I don't want to go through all of it, but the foundation comes out of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Finally, brothers, we request and exhort you, verse 1, in the Lord Jesus Christ, that as you receive from us instruction on how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk, that you excel more. Okay, now, if you read the first three chapters of, of 1 Thessalonians... That is a rock your universe church. I don't know who the pastor is. I don't know who the worship leader is. I don't know if they had a TV show or if they even published a book. But I can tell you this, what God was doing in Thessalonica had been heard through all of Christendom. All right. So God was doing a bunch in Thessalonica. All right. But he wants them to excel more. All right. Here's how he wants them to excel more. All right, now listen. One of the greatest passages of Scripture on ministry. Okay, beginning chapter 5, verse 12. We request you, brethren, okay, a church that's doing it. You're walking. That you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction. Do you want me to explain to you the Greek term for appreciate? I can, if you're interested. Literally means to make them wealthy. But then he says this, And you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Pretty impressive. Pretty impressive. Look what he says. All right, now I want you to read this because what did it just say there? It doesn't say the elder board should appreciate and esteem. Who's supposed to do it? Okay. Diligently labor among you literally means that um, work to the point of exhaustion. But look what he says next. And this is the part that I really want you to focus on. We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Who is? Deacons? Elders? 
Sunday school teachers. Who's supposed to do that? You ministers. Okay? And it's really cool because we all have it down to an art how to admonish the unruly. We got that down. You unruly? I'm admonishing. Okay? We all got that figured out. We know how to do it. Let me point out your evil. Okay? What you're doing is wrong. Jesus is going to whack you. To admonish someone means that I'm going to step up beside them and explain to them the consequences of where you're going. And I'm going to do everything I can to keep you from continuing down that path. That is not exactly how we admonish, is it? Look what else he says. Encourage the faint-hearted. The faint-hearted, for lack of a better way to understand it, is what I call the swooners. Okay? Have, have you ever dealt with people, everything's a crisis? Everything's cataclysmic. Have you, you know what I'm talking about? I mean, it's not. But oh my God! You don't believe this. Okay? And it says here that we are to encourage them. All right? You know what? These people will drive you batty. They will. Because it's just "Ah, ah, ah," all the time. And it's over nothing. So you're always telling them, did he bring you through this one? Yeah. How about this one? Yeah. Did he get you across that? Yeah. But you don't understand. Back to square one. Did he get you through this one? Did he get, and that's just, it's just like, gee, many crazy. It, it's, they are the ones that you feel like you're pouring the most energy in for no apparent reason. Okay? Uh, it's, you know, and I've heard people try to, it's these weak-willed women loaded down with sin that, no. Because I've run into men in the same way. You just don't understand the suffering and pain I'm in. Really? Okay. You just can't comprehend. You're probably right. Because you know what? I'm convinced that God will complete in you exactly what he started. Okay. But see, these are the ones who kind of have a self-focus. And it's poor, pitiful me. And one of the things I've learned is if you stay in that place, you're going to miss so much that that's the tragedy. But it says that we are to what? Encourage them. We are literally supposed to be kind of, hey, come on, uh, come on, hey, come on. It's, it's like you ever seen parents when they're wanting their kids to walk? Okay, they'll, they'll hold their fingers. And, and then they, they got their backs all bent over. And that's why we, all the old people end up in wheelchairs because they were walking around with their kids trying to make them walk. Okay? And that's what we end up doing. Okay? And that's basically what you're seeing at here. But see, he's got another one here. Courage the faint-hearted. But it says, help the weak. The weak here could be um, morally weak. 
Okay, but it can also be theologically weak. And it literally means to pick up their burden. Pick up their burden. Uh, I remember one time dealing years ago, uh, the guy and his wife were having some marital problems. And he called me crying and, and he said that his wife got mad and took off and probably headed for the bar. Okay, so at that time, there was only like three bars in Castle Rock, north, central, and south. <laughs> so, sort of the way it was divided. So I went around. I found her van parked out in front of the bar, and um, I just walked in and looked around the bar and down the bar a little bit. There she was and had every boy there buying her anything she wanted. Okay, I didn't. Do you know there's strings attached? But anyway, um, so I just walk up, and she's got her back to me, and I touch her back. She turns around looks at me and went white. I explained to her that her husband had called me, and uh, I'm thinking that this isn't a good place to be. And she started crying and all the rest of it. Of course, all the boys who were buying drinks were a little bit ticked off at me, but I could care less. Okay, and I took her home. All right, and they had problems over and 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 over. And I mean, at one time he went to jail, um, Department of Corrections, because she got mad at him. And of course, women today can say, he hit me. Well, did he? Yes. Go to jail. You know, you don't have to hit him. You can think real hard about it, maybe punch a hole in the wall. That's just like hitting her. But you watch it, and it was just one thing after the next, after the next. After, and that's what you call trying to help the weak. Okay, You're trying to give them theology. I want you to have theology. Because if you've got good, rock-solid theology, whatever comes, you stand. But it says, be patient. With who? Everyone. You know what I've learned? There are some people that are easy to be patient with. There are some. It's not as easy. Okay? And you know what? Patience is something that you and I don't come by naturally. And yet Paul says, be patient with everyone. Now then, I want to wrap this into a package and show you something really amazing here. I want you to excel more. Who's supposed to do this? Every saint of God. And you do it because you have love in its ten points. Then you can look at every situation knowing that God has brought that situation into your life. You can be confident. And you can sit and say, I don't care how ugly this is. I don't care how brutal this is. I don't care how inconvenient this is. Because my heart is wide open. I have confidence in it. Love doesn't give up in ministry. There's a young man in this. He's not in this congregation. His uh, mother is. That I have been praying for his salvation every day for uh, about 17 and a half years. And I have watched God. You, you know, if Peter says that dog will return to his vomit. 
I have watched God stand on the back of this kid's neck and hold his face down in his vomit. And he ain't giving it up. And you just shake your head and you think, good Lord, I mean, what do you say? You know, I've wrote him letters. When he comes into town, I talk to him. Okay, good kid. I mean, he's when he's sober, one of the nicest people you'll ever run into. He just doesn't like to be sober. Okay, but love doesn't give up in the ministry. It doesn't let go. It battles and it battles and it battles. Paul says, I have fought the good fight. Because it believes the best. Now listen, I want you to understand something. This is not positive thinking. Alright? I don't want you to think this is positive. This is what is called perseverance of the saints. God wants us to press on. And keep pressing on. The Apostle Paul is not stupid enough to say, I have great confidence in you. That makes it happen. The reason Paul had great confidence on it is he's still talking to him. This is the fourth letter, 2 Corinthians. And he's sending Titus. He's sending Timothy. He's sending those that he can spare. Go over there. Talk to them. Press them on. Paul says, I have great confidence because that is how love is. And love believes the best, even in the midst of the worst. That's the great confidence. Because think about how many times he says it in 2 Corinthians. My heart is open wide. Open wide your hearts. That's love. He says, I don't care what's going on. I don't care what the stench is. Because of my love. I will not give up. So that is the confidence of love. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the Thessalonians and the Corinthians. And Father, what a contrast. And yet, Lord, I praise you that you have given us these texts that we may, as the Thessalonians, excel still more. And that, Father, I pray that each of us walk worthy. Father, there's times that we are under conviction. Father, there are times when we are under encouragement. And yet, Father, let our hearts be open wide to whoever it is, to whatever it is. In this season of thanksgiving, let us be grateful that your love has been poured into our hearts by the person of your Spirit. And that, Father, we now have the capability to love as we are loved. To know the unknowable love of Christ. And to watch you do exceedingly abundantly beyond what we could think or ask. Father, I praise you. And I thank you in Christ's name. Amen.